You're listening to the Refined Hippie Podcast, a show all about holistic lifestyle, nutrition, and plant-based veganism for a mind-body-spirit approach to living healthfully and happily for ourselves and our planet. Welcome back to the podcast, my lovely friends. I am your host, Rebecca Henson. Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode is about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, which it might be for you as well, because when we are trying to live a refined hippie lifestyle, we are very conscious about our impact on the planet, whether that be to its inhabitants, the animals, other humans, and of course, the environment. And we are going to chat all about how we can create and build a better future with my guest, Brad Peterson. Brad is a serial entrepreneur who has built multiple companies with revenues ranging from seven to nine figures and with up to 130 employees. His latest venture is as a co-founder of Pila, a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company committed to creating a waste-free future. Incredible. To empower their mission, the company created Lomi, which is an electronic kitchen composter that magically turns your organic waste into dirt literally while you sleep. And this unique device dramatically reduces food waste to going into landfill. This in turn empowers users to make positive contributions in reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. And the product was launched by Indiegogo and raised over $8 million and went to become the largest clean tech crowdfunding campaign of all time. So we get into all of Brad's story, how he went from being a toy maker to being committed to coming up with solutions to create a clean economy. We talk all about his different companies and businesses, compostable phone covers, how you can use flags to make compostable products, what is composting, how we can compost at home, and the Lomi composting unit, which can compost food scraps and composting goods within four hours. We also talk about food waste, landfills, out of sight, out of mind, being a caretaker to the planet, and how we can make a meaningful impact. It is an extra inspiring episode, which I think will hopefully help motivate all of us to do our part because we can all make a huge impact in a positive way. So without further ado, here is my interview with the inspirational Brad Peterson. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the podcast. Rebecca, so good to be here. Thank you for having me on. I know. I'm glad that it finally worked out. Sorry that it's, <laughs> we were like, yeah, we were going to do this before Christmas. Mm, that was too ambitious for me, at least, to try to squeeze in all. I, I already had several other ones and I was like, this is this was a bad decision. <laughs> like, <laughs> So we're making it work. It's good. No, I'm glad. And and uh, you've given us some time. It's a brand new year. Um, I, I'm feeling very grateful for sort of a fresh start, uh, even though really the clock never has a hard stop and a new beginning, but it just feels like, hey, it's a reset, an opportunity to reimagine the year ahead. So perfect timing. So thank you. Totally. So true. And 
and I'm excited about the the topics that we're going to cover um, because it is the beginning of the new year. And I feel like, you know, so many people are making resolutions or intentions or trying to be, you know, a better version of themselves. And I think that it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, being a better version of yourself without talking about creating a better planet. And you are certainly involved in, um, several companies that are have a mission to help the planet. So tell us a little bit about your uh, your all of your endeavors. Yeah, it's great. Well, currently I'm the co-founder and chairman of Pila, which I think is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And uh, but as you mentioned, I am involved in a number of other initiatives and endeavors. Um, and they all have sort of a common theme in terms of how I get involved with them in terms of um, my in, just investing my life, which stands for leadership, influence, finance, and expertise. So I think it's a good met acronym for what is um, ultimately our resource that we have, which is our life force. So, um, but PLA is a waste innovation company, and it's committed to creating a waste-free future. And we have this sort of contrarian belief that garbage is optional. Uh, and as such, we are uh, creating products that have an end-of-life solution designed in the beginning. And this really goes back to how the planet was designed. Um, you know, if you think about it, everything in nature uh, that dies is the fuel and the fertilizer for a new beginning of something else. This is sort of how God created this economy, right? End of life is the beginning of something else's life. And uh, so for years, we've, we've seen, you know, waste and, and garbage or things that were end of life as something that would be useful. Farmers used to collect all the leftover organic waste and then use that to actually um, fertilize the next crop that they were about to build. In the last hundred years, using human ingenuity, we've created these incredible materials that have a very poor end of life. They just keep on keeping on. And in certain applications, it's awesome, right? Without having, you know, plastic pipes, we wouldn't have plumbing in our houses, we wouldn't have natural gas heating our homes. There's, there's a number of, of massive benefits that have come from that but we have taken it to excess and we have actually turned it into things that are single use that end up getting into our landfills and ultimately our ocean. So um, we, 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 we as a company have said, we have to rethink this economy that has been like a make, take, use waste economy and turn it back into the circular economy that God designed. And uh, that's a big part of our passion and mission of what we do in terms of how we're, we're thinking about building a company and enterprise that uh, ultimately builds value for both people and the planet while also being sustainable and profitable. That's amazing. I wish there were more companies that were had that kind of mindset because, I mean, just the amount of waste, I mean, even just food waste, I mean, food waste for sure, which we can talk about, <laughs> but mm -hmm. even like what we're, what our food is packaged in. And I think about that all the time when I go to the grocery store, I mean, you go to the grocery store once or twice a week. And if you're buying, you know, if you, if you don't have the option to get bulk stuff, then everything's wrapped in plastic, you know, I mean, and I know you, I think, did y'all start out with the cell phone cases? Was that like your first? Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's exactly right. Um, so the initial product was a mobile phone case and um, it doesn't seem like an obvious place to start. Like most people would say, well, why didn't you start with like straws or things that, you know, really show up heavy in waste. And the challenge is, is that, um, you know, um, biocomposite and uh, compostable materials are still nascent. And because they're not readily adopted yet, they're more expensive than petroleum-based plastics. 
So um, because petroleum is so ubiquitous and we've learned to turn it into all these incredible materials, it's the cheapest form to making products. So when you're looking at a straw, which has to be something that's a low cost item, um, it's going to be the lowest cost material to make it. And so in that case, it doesn't make sense. But when we looked at mobile phone cases, it's more of a fashion accessory. And in fashion accessories, there is less scrutiny in terms of cost. In other words, the mobile phone cases we make technically are more expensive to make than a traditional plastic case because we're using these new materials that are not yet readily adopted. Mm -hmm. um, but like everything, over time, as we create awareness and adoption rates increase, the costs come down. We've seen that in every single industry since the beginning of time. It's why now electric cars are a lot less than they used to be 10 years ago. Solar panels, again, a lot less than they used to be 10 years ago. So we started off TVs. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. They used to be so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you say that? Because I still remember um, going into, uh, I think the very first flat screen TV that I saw was made by Pioneer. And I don't even know if they still make them. But I remember going into a, a showroom and it was on a wall and it, it was $32,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right? I guess that's like the first computer too, right? Wasn't it like the first computer or something like that? I mean, yeah. I think every innovation, you know, it's all about the adoption curve, right? It's like those innovators, adopters, and then the early majority. And that's when it starts to become readily adopted and we become more resourceful and we just get better at uh, um, continually to optimize our way to get to a lower cost. So I think the point is, is that we start with phone cases because it was a, an industry that happened to be pretty big. Uh, there's, there's $20 billion of phone cases sold every year, which is shocking. But if you think, you know, for most people, um, their mobile device is like a fifth appendage, right? This is something they require and they're changing them out every two to three years, you know? And of course the new, the companies that design the new devices, nothing is retrofit. It is a brand new shape, a brand new camera aperture, um, all that stuff changes. And so a new uh, case is required to be designed for that. And so as a result, cases are made out of this very durable material, plastic, designed to protect the phone, which is awesome. But when we're changing them out every two, three years, now it's massively wasteful. So it was actually a perfect sort of inflection point to start off to prove that we could make things out of products that had this grace window life. And it had the margin flexibility in it, if you will, that we could actually go build these products and the market would accept them at the prices that we could offer them. So we're definitely, we're not the cheapest out there, but our quality is exceptional. Um, and the most importantly, at the end of life, we can turn it back into fertilizer for the next uh, crop of plants to grow yet another version of that case in the future. That's crazy. So what, what is the, what, what are the, what's the material made of? Like, yeah, so it's plant-based. So, um, we, we, we proudly boast of our Canadian flax that is made it into it. So whenever you look at a piece, you'll see those little flax of, of flax and flax is actually an incredibly durable material. Um, linen is made of flax. And in places like Europe, uh, the flax crops are actually grown for making linen because of the durability of that material. Whereas in North America, flax crops are grown for the, the seed and the oil that's generated from it. So in North America, the, the straw actually goes to waste <clears throat> and it's so durable that they can't actually till it back into the soil. They have to burn it. 
um, which of course on its own is, you know, makes no sense because, you know, we have this durable material, why not use it for something? Could be helpful. So uh, within our case, it makes the case very resilient, very durable, uh, still has that uh, nice, supple, uh, pliable texture to it as well. So it's not something that's rigid and hard, but it's something that actually is very flexible and, and we think that's unique. Um, but most importantly, when exposed into a the right environment that's uh, for composting and breaking down, this case will turn in a, in, a, in a home composting environment, it'll turn into dirt within months and within our Loma unit, we'll turn into dirt overnight, which is incredible. Overnight, what? So is the, um, I'm excited to talk about this, the the Lomi. Um, is it considered then kind of like a commercial, like it gets to the temperature or whatever that a commercial facility would get to or how does that compare? Yeah, like, so compost is an interesting word and I know it's very <laughs> sort of, um, uh, it's been politicized and it has a heated debate about what is it? Um, exactly. But I tell people, look, it's both a verb and a noun. Okay. So it is a verb. Composting is when you have the right materials, which you need um, uh, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, uh, water, and then adding heat. So the Lomi unit actually artificially creates the right environment and intensifies it using energy, intensifies it and takes what would normally be weeks and months and does it in hours. And so it's just the perfect optimal setting to break organic waste down into dirt that becomes a soil supplement that we have proven is now a superfood for plants. Mm -hmm. And of course, once you've gone through the composting process, you have compost. Now, the great question is, is that, well, is it really compost? And we get this question all the time. And I, I, I liken it kind of to two, two analogies. Number one is, um, if you've ever, have you ever watched wine being made, have you ever been to a, a vineyard and they, mm -hmm. they've shown you the process of making yeah. wine? Okay. So they go through fermentation, which actually happens pretty quick, right? They add the grapes, they get the juice, and then they add yeast. And then pretty quickly, it is fermenting to produce alcohol. Now, once it's produced the alcohol, it goes into an aging process in a barrel to get the flavor and the full benefit of, of what is, uh, you know, the bodies of wine, right? So what, what we say is that what we've done is we've accelerated the process to break it down into its organic um, um, components that are, are, are ready to go back to the planet. And one could argue that with more time, it'll only get more benefit for sure. But we've taken what would normally be weeks <laughs> and or months and moved it into hours and just accelerated that process. It's only going to continue to break down more. And uh, and so, you know, you could argue at what point is it become compost? I would say it's compost, whether it's mature compost, like if it's a an aged wine uh, is the question mark. But it is definitely... Again, as we've proven through our, our science and uh, third-party science, which we're working with uh, third-party institutions like University of Toronto and a number of other third-party labs, they've taken and analyzed the material, the microbes, the value, the nutrients, the soil, and then on top of that, used it with growing crops and proven that it is an incredible fertilizer that truly is a superfood for plants. Wow. That's incredible. Is it, does it work? I, I'm just like, how does, how does it do this? <laughs> um, is it like, compressing it kind of like you know you use like a crock pot or something is it that kind of idea or like how does that how can it do it so fast it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> it is if you go to um 
go to our website or go to Amazon. I mean, that's even better because it's a, it's true. I mean, all of it is third party. We we just we basically allow the audience, our our customers, to tell the story. Um, but the number one word you're going to see over and over again is magic. Like it literally blows your mind to see the organic waste go in there, right? Like we we just did a, a batch where a bunch of food waste went in, um, a compostable plastic bag went in, and actually those um, uh, Keurig pods. So you can now get those compostable. Oh, thank gosh. That always worried me. <laughs> right. right. And this is something that I think that industry is really leaning into because they know it's a massive waste it's issue. It's disgusting. Right? Oh, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I literally have pictures I can share with you afterwards of like, this went in and four hours later, it's nothing but dirt. Like there's not a piece of anything left. It's just soil. And um, Pure magic, like they say. Pure magic. So you just, it's kind of, it's it's this transformation and it, the other thing that was super cool about it, because the output that you're getting is is a fertilizer you can use. But beyond that, it's a, it's a carbon sequester. So this is the only uh, appliance you'll ever have in your home that we can prove will actually sequester and become carbon negative. Like it'll actually pull carbon from the atmosphere uh, in terms of what the output. And we've again had this verified this, you know, this is me telling you, but this is third party validated mm -hmm. that this unit actually is a democratized way to affect climate change. And I don't know about you, but I think most of your listeners would probably identify when you hear about, you know, uh, what is a, uh, what is a, um, a, a metric ton of, of carbon look like? You kind of imagine go like, oh, well, uh, it's, it's out there. I know that, but I feel sort of helpless about what I could do to affect it. And Lomi is really the democratized ways that everybody can not only mitigate the risks of food waste and food security issues, but on top of that, also uh, be working proactively to help us reduce climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the food waste um, in landfills and stuff is 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 one of the the biggest issues. I think I had I was in California for a um, at Patagonia they had. A, a speaker, this girl that I follow, I can't remember what her name is now, but she's like a surfer, but she's all about um, the environment. Obviously she's traveled all over the world and, you know, been to all these different surf spots that are just like the beach is literally just plastic. Um, mm. So she's very outspoken about it, but she, one of her main things was about like compost and biodegradable things and um, learning about the food waste and what it does in the landfill. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why it's so bad? <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, I, well, first of all, ignorance is not bliss. And I think most of us would just say that we've been ignorant about um, what happens when we put food waste into the garbage, and then that garbage goes to landfill. I mean, I certainly was, I was that person that said, hey, you know, it's going to a place where it'll break down. That's, that's, yeah. that's okay. In fact, I probably felt better about putting food waste in the garbage than anything else, knowing Same. that, you know, put a cannon or something like that, that feels terrible, but it's like, well, the food waste, it's, it's organic, right? Yeah. So the problem that I didn't realize, and now your, your, your listeners will be aware of is that when you put your food waste into a plastic bag, which is what most garbage kitchens have in terms of their repositories. And that plastic bag then goes into your waste bin that goes into a truck with other plastic bags who then take it to a landfill Put it out there and which they then bring in a bunch of topsoil dirt clay sand whatever they have in terms of uh, of, of packing material and then pack it down 
they've pretty much guaranteed that that food waste is going to have to break down anaerobically, meaning it doesn't have access to oxygen. The plastic bag and the layers of plastic on top of the fact that we've got soil on top of that. And organic waste, when it would naturally break down, would actually be very healthy and normal. But when it breaks down anaerobically, it produces methane gas. And also, we'll talk about leachate, but let methane gas being the number one sort of enemy, uh, methane gas is up to 80 times more potent uh, than CO2 in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So it is very, very bad for the atmosphere. And, and, and so uh, this, and on top of that, in terms of volume, about 40 to 50% of all waste going to landfill is made of food waste. So if you think about that, that's a huge amount of um, the landfill and that that breaking down, producing these harmful methane gas emissions, and then sort of as a byproduct, leachate, which is just, um, as it describes, the leaching process of when water goes through all these materials and starts leaching down into the water systems. Now, the drinking water that we've uh, uh, that we rely on in terms of the aquifers and that are below the landfills all get um, infected, or not the right word, but they get contaminated. Uh, thank you. Contaminated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of the, the COVID uh, um, uh, recent uh, issue, I think. The oh, man. In my mind, but in any event, yeah. it gets contaminated. So we have like this sort of double whammy of, of problems in terms of what it does for the environment. And, you know, uh, on top of the fact that 80% of U.S. landfills are are at capacity or almost at capacity, there's less than 10 years left of it. So the bottom line is, is that we just got to change the way that we do things. And, you know, Lomi is this incredible technology and it's sort of the missing infrastructure piece that allows us to take the organic waste that's heading to landfill and turn it into something valuable and useful. And at the same time, be a democratized way for us to affect climate change in a positive way. It's huge. It's actually absolutely huge. I didn't know that the 80% of landfills were already <laughs> almost filled up. That is horrific. Um, Cause yeah, what is, I mean, it, nobody else, no politician, the government's not trying to, they're not actively, you know, trying to address this matter at all. You know, it's all, it always ends up being just normal, quote, normal people, you know, trying to come up with solutions because the government's not going to fix it. Yeah, look, I think um, California is probably the the place that's the noisiest right now. They've identified that this is a real issue and they've uh, legislated that all food waste has to be diverted from landfills. I think by 2025 is when it's absolutely law and there'll be fines if they if they see waste in your bins. Um, there's other states that are following suit. And, I, you know, it really is kind of like the lead domino. The, we expect that this awareness issue is going to continue. It seems to be very, you know, the conversation these days has leaned into um, the issue with huge security in terms of like, we're very wasteful and we're actually, we shouldn't be because there is a finite amount of food that we need to be thinking about. And secondly, is that the food waste that's generated is is very harmful in terms of both the, uh, the leachate you just talked about and the, the emissions. But of course, <clears throat> the bigger conversation that occupies people's minds in the moment is the fact that they're hearing about inflation and interest rates and a looming recession. And, and so as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
instead of thinking about like, how do we self-actualize and make the world better? Most people right now are thinking about how do I just survive? And uh, of course, that is a temporary issue because your markets will go through their cycles and eventually we'll have to come back and confront the realization that what we're doing is not sustainable and we have to change the way that we're, we're, we're doing things as a society. Mm, well said. Yeah. I mean, but it's almost like every, every time period though, a lot of, you know, majority of people are just trying to survive and, and the can just keeps getting kicked, you know, down the road. Um, but I think you can, we can do both, you know, we can try to help people, you know, have a, a stronger economy or, you know, a, a more sustainable, um, economy and also a more eco-friendly one. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. You know, um, the greatest threat to our, our planet currently is not the war in Europe. You know, it's not inflation and um, whatever might be currently burning in front of you right now that the news is, is saying this is the issue. The greatest threat is that we believe that someone else is going to solve our problems we have to realize that we are the generation that has been put in the spot to take action and to not stand on the sidelines and watch, but to be proactively involved in helping move us forward. And I am, you know, I also think it's the greatest time in all of history to be alive. Like if you look at every metric um, in terms of mortality, in terms of our, uh, you know, how long we live, in terms of access to all kinds of incredible technologies and things that just make our life better, there's never been a better time in history to be alive. And I think there's never been a better time to be a founder in an enterprise that's focused on making impact. And, you know, we looked at people like Elon Musk, who's probably the most prolific, but this guy's literally thrown his wallet at major problems and he's shifting the way that the world is thinking about electrification, about space travel. And, uh, and I think that there's many entrepreneurs uh, out there who are looking at him as an example saying, hey, we can actually do um, we can turn our our enterprise into a social enterprise that supports the triple bottom line of people, planet, and ultimately has to be profitable so it's sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of challenges have you you know run into as an entrepreneur trying to create a business that has different values and beliefs than you know the majority of of companies out there? Yeah, look, I think, um, I don't know that our challenges are any different. Um, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. This is my seventh adventure. Um, my previous ones uh, actually were contributors to uh, waste. And it was part of the reason I felt compelled to go down this path. I, I really wanted my next venture to ultimately have meaningful impact in terms of a, a lasting impact. Um, but it's like anything, you know, you, you start starts off with a curiosity of, you know, the possibilities. What what could it look like? What could the world look like if we thought differently around waste? Um, and then once you've thought of the curiosity, it's the creativity of coming up with solutions. How can we creatively take this problem and turn it into something that's good? And then the real challenge comes to having the courage. And courage is uh, is basically the bliss point between cowardice and recklessness. So it's taking action without with uncertainty, you don't really know how the outcome is going to turn out and you don't want to be too reckless and you don't want to be a coward, but it is always going to be met with some sort of headwinds. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Schopenhauer said that, you know, every idea goes through three phases. The first is that it's considered crazy and then it's vehemently opposed 
and then finally is accepted as truth. And so when we're trying to convince people that their garbage is valuable and that the way that we've been doing things by just putting stuff in bins that goes into trucks and then we bury it in a landfill where we don't see it anymore, so therefore it's fixed, right? It's gone. We don't have any issue that that is no longer a valid solution for the way we do things. But we're just, mm -hmm. we're addicted to uh, the way we've done things historically. And it takes tremendous effort to shift consciousness around a new way of being, a new way to, to live and a, a better solution forward. And so anybody who's been a pioneer um, in, in trying to tr transform society to a better path forward has been met initially with opposition. Well, initially they thought they were crazy and then they were opposed. And just think of, of the, the Tesla story. I mean, it was the most shorted stock in history. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. A lot of people were betting against it. And you know, now you look at what the company's become today. Um, it, it's, it's literally changed the way that automobiles are thought of uh, and will never go back. Never so. go back. I know. Now you see so many other companies are trying to emulate, you know, whatever, more um, battery powered cars, eco-friendly cars. I mean, pretty much every brand is is trying to come out with their own version. So that speaks volumes right there. Yeah. And I mean, going back to, you know, you saying that, you know, your, our waste goes into the landfill and then it gets covered up. It's like the ostrich effect, you know, if you can't see it, then it's not happening. Like, and a lot of us live in areas that we don't see it. You know, I remember driving you, you said that y'all go down to Florida and my husband and I would go, uh, and we might go in in February, I guess. We we would tr we try to go to Florida every February and get away from the cold, even though it's it's not that cold here, but it's still cold. <laughs> it's I cold to say, us, okay. <laughs> come visit Canada. I'll show you cold. <laughs> oh, I know. That's why I say I'm like I I see where you live, so <laughs> I saw your view. Um, but and on our drive one time, there was we passed by this gigantic landfill, and I mean you could smell it from before you even saw it. You know, you were kind of like, what is that? that is a strange smell, you know? And mm -hmm. there were just giant, there were just birds everywhere. It was just like the wild, I had never seen one before. So, but generally most of us where we live, we don't see it. So we, we it's out of sight, out of mind, you know? So it's like, oh, they come pick up our trash and it goes somewhere and they, and they deal with it. And the thing, and with plastic, oh my gosh, uh, I could, I could talk about plastic all day. My, I'll tell you a story that happened like a week and a half ago, we had really high winds and mm -hmm. my neighbor had left her garbage bin out, even though they hadn't picked it up and they weren't going to pick it up for another week. She just left it there while she left for the holiday and it got knocked over by the wind. So there was trash all in the road. I was I was leaving my driveway and another neighbor had come. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped and we were all picking up her and her son and me were like running around the street trying to pick up as much trash as we could that was blowing around everywhere her recycling and, and 50% of what she was recycling was not even recyclable. She was recycling plastic bags, which all that kind of stuff gets mm. stuck, you know, in the, in the conveyor belt or whatever she yeah. was recycling. I mean, I know I need to talk to her about it because I need to be like, you're not recycling anything properly. But the point of this is, is that a lot of people think they're doing so good by just recycling in general and, and recycling is not the answer, you know, recycling plastic is not the answer. We need to, to formulate, you know, products that can be put into a compost bin and, or put in a loamy and be gone in four hours, you know, and 
obviously it's, it's amazing to have phone cases because that is something I still have like three phone cases in my closet from mm. old phones that I just feel bad about throwing away because I'm just like, I, in my mind, I'm like, it's going to go to a landfill. And anyways, um, you brought up so many things that triggered thoughts for me because I, I yeah. mean, we're, we're obviously like-minded in terms of our, our values and worldviews. Um, so I want to just point on the out of sight, out of mind piece, because I think that that is something it's just, it's a part of our human condition. It's like to change human nature is, is almost impossible. We just, we are who we are and it's how do we in intercept our human condition with a better way of being. But um, I live in this beautiful area that, you know, you had a quick view of and all along here is a series of valleys. Um, and there's trails that go along here that are just gorgeous. Like you're out in nature and it's stunning. And there's a cliff up above and every once in a while you're walking along the trail, you'll come across what is somebody's old garbage from years ago where they used to just pull up their trucks to the edge of the bank and just toss it over. And somehow by going down the bank, it's fixed. It's gone. I don't see it anymore. The garbage is looked after. Um, and I had a friend who just got back from Nepal and he was telling me how they look after the garbage there, that they literally collect it all next to the river and a bulldozer comes along and pushes it into the river. And it just washes down. Oh <laughs> my gosh! Village, it's which gone in the ocean, but it's gone. I don't see it anymore. Oh, it's a broken part of our humanity that we just—it's the simplest solution, not the right solution, but it's the simplest. And I—I def I don't see it. It's not a problem anymore. And so that's a big part of what we do as a company in terms of awareness. We're educating people about this. And quite frankly, we're not the only one. The, the media is full. I, I don't think you could have found a story the last five years or a newspaper that didn't have some pictures, imagery of a beach that was littered or, you know, straws and turtles' noses or all the this imagery that's starting to just socialize that what we're doing is not sustainable, that we have to change the way we're, we're, we're living. And you're 100% right that we have, you know, we've been practicing uh, recycling for 30 years. Okay, as a society, that's when we started adopting it and bringing it in. And after 30 years, how much of the product that it currently gets recycled gets recycled again? Do you know what the, the stat is? I think it's like 5%. I don't know, something really low. <laughs> so let's just say it's below 10%. Yeah. It's, it's argued whether it's 7 or 5%, but it is really, really low, which says the law of diminishing returns means we're never recycling something twice. But what it has done is it's created this like, I'm doing good consumer sentiment. Therefore, I can go buy more because actually guilt-free, I've got, you know, this you bin recycle here it. magically recycles things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you get behind the story of recycling of how we've been sending stuff to Asia and having them pick through it. And it's just, it's it's a gong show. Long, long story short is there isn't a business that after 30 years of operating where 10% solution would be acceptable. Just never, ever, ever happened. So... Again, I am a proponent of recycling because the idea and principle, it's like world peace. I love that idea. We've just never known world peace. So recycling, I love the idea, but we've never known a system that actually is truly effective. Europe is probably the best so far, but they're still at about a 50% level, which means again, after 30 years of practice, is 50% acceptable? Hmm, I'm not sure. So if we know people are going to waste, which is absolutely true about our humanity, then why not offer them a solution where the waste actually does what God intended it to do, break down into some meaningful soil supplement that can help generate the next crop of things to grow that we can then turn into products that again, go back and replenish the plant. Mm -hmm.
why is Europe even, I mean, I know 50% is still not good, but what do they do differently that is better than us? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there, that's a probably, uh, it's probably outside of my scope of, of giving an educated answer, but just my experience of spending time in Europe there is just more vigilance uh, around it. I mean, people, number one, have a smaller footprint. They live in smaller homes. Uh, there's a more communal way of thinking about things True. that, you know, yeah. so I just, in general, I think that societal impact has allowed them to be more effective at it versus our very libertarian North American view. Um, I think and, they're not as uh, consumeristic as we are. We just yeah, buy, I, buy, buy, junk, junk, junk all day long. I think that's a fair statement. Well, I think that definitely that, you know, and certainly if you look at GDPs, um, you know, still the number one consumer in the world. And, um, and as long as they're the biggest consumers, they're going to produce the most waste. Right. Yeah. They don't have as much stuff as we do. We have a lot of stuff and we <laughs> want true. more stuff because it makes you feel good. You get that dopamine <laughs> hit from, you know, buying stuff. And I, I, I say that with love because I used to be a, a con major consumer consumerist consumerism whatever mm. um consumer yeah just buy 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 especially when i was a teenager um i just wanted more stuff and more clothes and more you know i just it just made me feel good but um now i'm <laughs> the opposite i think about it too much of like a, do i need this <laughs> no i don't <laughs> but i guess that's a good yeah. way too i think i think it's an awareness thing i, I mean look here's the thing people are going to consume and they're going to consume at different rates relative to what you just described, how it makes them feel. Like people buy things often just because it makes them feel good. So knowing that about human nature, then it is simply how do we have better solutions in terms of the packaging, in terms of the way we make them. Because of knowing ultimately that that is going to end up as waste. I mean, unless you're buying, you know, once in a lifetime purchases, which there's not a lot of those. Oh, um, everything. It's going to be waste. Yeah. That, that, I mean, everything breaks i swear to gosh like even just the most annoying things like we had an outdoor temperature a little thermometer thing you know an electronic one that you put one little gadget outside and then you can see on the inside what it is it lasted a year those things never last and then that's going to end up in a landfill just like stuff like that i'm like this is so annoying <laughs> like why can't anything actually last anymore anyway i could that could go off on a tangent on that how many things have broken lately i'm just like oh my oh and then uh, uh, not that i need to or feel like i should weigh myself or anybody should because it makes you crazy but <laughs> i we had a scale of you know just a digital scale one year gone <laughs> like I'm going to have to email no. that company because I'm really annoyed, but. Well, I, I mean, it, it's, it's a separate conversation, a rabbit hole that probably you can save for another. I know. A, a, I know. A, I'm sorry that I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> but it is a, uh, this is what I'm going to call the Walmart effect. So discounting. Mm. It's been positive. They have allowed more people accessibility to things at affordable prices, but at the same time, <clears throat> the cost of making things is going up. Materials are more expensive. The cost of labor is going up. Yet they behold to this price that has to be a four ninety nine or a nine ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine price point. And the only compression is quality. So you get the same thermometer that you would have got ten years ago, except for now it's got thinner sidewall. The plastic is not as durable. The materials are just they're compromised. And I think in general, like we notice that. The things that we bought 10 years ago seem to be better made than the things today in terms of consumer 
uh, appliances. And it's one of the things that, you know, we, we get criticized on at Lomi is like, how come it's so expensive? Because we made it to last. Yes. <laughs> We're not, yes. We don't want to contribute to the waste. We made it a really good material so that it actually will be durable and not just be a one and done or a year long uh, durability thing. So, um, and same with their phone cases, they're built to last. So, yeah. I mean, that would kind of defeat the purpose if you had created this product to get rid of waste and then it didn't last but a year, you know, that would be like, do you really believe in what you say? I don't know. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the, the planet and trying to take care of it. I think that that's, you know, a main thing that, you know, we had talked a little bit about faith or whatnot. And I think that people have forgotten why we're, you know, what our role here is on the planet, taking care of it, being a steward um, and a caretaker. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on this because, <laughs> you know, of course this is, this is an area that's close to my heart. Um, so before we go there, maybe I'll tell you a little bit about my background because I think that might be helpful for context. So um, I said, this is my seventh adventure and this has um, been really at this point in my life. And again, life is long. I just turned 50. So I, I expect that there's many more adventures to come, but this one is truly an inflection point of how can I use my life, my leadership, influence, finance, expertise to actually make meaningful, lasting impact to help you know, uh, put our dent in, into the universe, so to speak. But my previous life, I was the real Santa Claus. And I say that because I'm a toy maker from the North. I made kids toys and I sold them all around the planet and I love doing it. It's an incredible industry full of imagination and creativity. And at the end of the day, you're putting smiles on kids' faces, which is just such a cool and noble part of, of the entire profession. But ultimately I was somewhat conflicted about it. Um, meaning that most toys, in fact, 90% end up in landfill, uh, or sorry, a ma massive amount end up in landfill within 90 days. Um, and you know, I'm not referring to Tonka or to, you know, Lego or things like that, that are more durable, but in general, most toys are those impulse buys, those low price points, you know, things that are near the till or whatever that, you know, are $10 or less, and they're not built to last. They're built to entertain for a period of time. And when they break or their utility wears out. They end up in the garbage can, which goes to landfill. And so I had this conflicted side of that, man, this is not super sustainable. And th there has to be a better way that we can we can do things. And, <clears throat> you know, going back to my, my belief system, you know, I spent quite a bit of time thinking about sort of, you know, we came from somewhere, we're here for a reason. And at the end of this life, we're going somewhere. I really believe that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience and that, you know, our creator had a purpose for us. And as I was going through and just reading through the book of Genesis, and again, not literally taking it as it is, but understanding what, what the message is behind the message. In other words, the, the stories have meaning behind them. And what is the purpose of that meaning? So we can debate all day long, whether it was seven days or, you know, seven billion years. I, I'm not going to get into the details. When we meet, meet our maker, he can let us know exactly how it went down. But the story goes that during those seven days, there's some, there's two things that happened. The first is that, you know, God was taking the chaos and turning it to order. So that's the first three days. And then the second half of that is he's taking the, the newly ordered planet and filling it with creation. 
So those are the two main activities that are happening during those six days before he takes the seventh day to rest. And <clears throat> at the end of every day, he said it was good. And when he makes mankind, he says they're very good. And he talks about making him in our image. And, um, you know, I don't think that that means we physically necessarily look like God. But I think that what God was saying is that he gave us the godlike characteristics and abilities to do the work that he was doing. Because his commission to mankind is basically to go fill the earth. So, so he says, go ahead and fill. And it, he uses multiply as a different word. So in other words, multiplication, the meaning you procreate, but filling. Well, if you think about it, the earth was already pretty full. I mean, there was trees, there was animals, there was all kinds of stuff. So what does it mean to fill? I think it means to build value into what he started, continue doing what he was doing, be a co-creator with him and building value into that. And the second is he said, subdue the chaos. So what God was doing when he designed this, this incredible uh, garden that we call planet Earth is he was taking chaos, turning it to order, and then he filled it with creation. And then he made mankind in his image, giving him the characteristics to do the same thing, to be co-creators with him, to continue to take things that are chaotic in turning them to order and then filling it with things that build value for both people and the planet. Um, and, and so we were told to be caretakers for this planet and instead we've been incredible takers. <laughs> and so the first step to any transformation is awareness. I think, you know, I tell people that at one time, believe it or not, it was common sense that we could power the world by whaling. That whales, if we, if we killed and slaughtered enough whales, that we'd have enough power that we would actually use that to power the earth. And that that was common sense at the time. That's the, the entire East Coast of the United States was built up on the whaling industry. I know, it's so sad. <laughs> so then we became aware that that's crazy. Fact, <laughs> yeah. We also you know, discovered petroleum, well, coal first and then petroleum. And then that just produced new sources of energy. So no different than that. We are at a place in, in a, a point in time where we're just, we're realizing that there is a better way of being that again, we can't beat ourselves up over the past because we did what we did to, in order to get to where we are. And it's created this incredible, um, abundant lifestyle for us. But if we want to continue to be the caretakers and the co-creators that God designs to be, then we need to take that mandate and see it into the future and affect the change. Again, the greatest threat to our planet is not these existential threats outside our uh, circle of control. It's that we believe someone else is going to solve our problems. Every single person is responsible for helping affect the change we want to create. I think it was Mother Teresa who said, if we want to make the world a cleaner pace, start your sweeping your own doorstep. So that is really what I want to encourage your listeners that you do have the ability to make change. Uh, Lomi is a tool that allows you to feel empowered about being a part of that change. And quite frankly, I would tell people it transforms a habit. It's transformational because it creates a new habit that you never even knew you need until all of a sudden you have to go, okay, it's not messy. It's not smelly. There's no more pests and rodents that are getting into my, my organic bin. It's incredibly empowering to be able to affect the change that we see. That was beautifully said. Yeah. I mean, you know, and just making, like you're saying, new habits. I mean, that's why this is great. This is the beginning of the year. This is a new habit that people can, you know, put into their lives. And then it becomes just like second nature. Also, I mean, just talking about, you know, the pests and things like that, then your trash doesn't smell. I mean, having separate, I mean, yeah. And then you have less trash, you know, when you push it out. I mean, there's barely, it's like half, half as much. If you say 50% is, you know, is organic waste, then it's like a win-win all across the board. 
Yeah. And what I didn't mention is that after you've processed your organic waste through Lomi, it becomes 10 to 20% of its original volume. So the stress in terms of the load on, on landfill is dramatically reduced as well um, in terms of that. So yeah, the, the benefits are long and I encourage people to go to the website, www.lomi.com. And there's a whole bunch of information there that you can read about what, you know, again, not just us, but third parties, users who are using it. And then third party science is validating what we're doing. Um, we're, we're, we're excited because we think this is really the way that we can make meaningful change and lasting impact for society today and tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think what you are doing is amazing and is much needed um, to make some big changes. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, I will put all of your info in the show notes. Um, if you have any other last minute um, thing to say or announcements or anything. Well, look, I think, you know, Maybe what people would like to know is that Lomi was launched by a crowdfunding campaign. Um, you know, we went on uh, Indiegogo. We thought, uh, hey, if, if, if you're familiar with crowdfunding, if you do six figures of support, that's a big deal. Seven figures, you're kind of a unicorn. That's rare. Um, we, we just put together a compelling story to say, hey, this is the problem we're trying to solve. And really, we tried to solve this for our phone cases. Like we were trying to find a, a solution for the end of life there. Anyways, Fast forward, we put it on the Indiegogo campaign and it went down to do over 7 million in revenue, became the largest clean tech crowdfunding campaign in history, the biggest of 2021. Um, and we really sort of hit a nerve with people in terms of this is a, this is a problem that we're solving. Um, and this is the, the, the missing piece of infrastructure that allow us to unleash the clean compostable economy. Uh, we want more companies to adopt compostable products uh, into their repertoire because we know it's possible. They just don't have the infrastructure currently to look after it. But Lomi is that missing piece that really accelerates the whole clean compostable economy. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we're excited for it. Yeah. And they might not realize, you know, I think maybe some of these companies don't realize that there is there, there's not just a need for it. I think there's a want for it. You know, a lot of people want to feel like that they're not contributing to the, the crazy pollution problem, you know? So any, any small change that they can do, which I think having a Lomi in your house is like, I mean, obviously there's the, there's the financial, you know, you're, you're obviously have to put up some money for, I don't, I actually had not sure how much they, um, can you tell me how much they, they cost? Yeah, they're $4.99. Nice. I think that's a great price point, um, for the type of impact that you're making on the planet and then you know, reducing your food waste, uh, your trash. Well, and on top of that, if you have yards like I do that has a lawn, uh, all my output goes into my lawn. And it, it's, I think I have the nicest lawn in the neighborhood. It's very rich and green. So <laughs> that's awesome. My grass does not look very good. So I need that. <laughs> well, there's your solution. Generate your own fertilizer. I and... know, right? Well, and this, and I hope that this is going to be the year of the garden for everybody. I think we need to go back to, we need to basically uh, kind of reverse our lifestyle to kind of like our grandparents, you know, everybody needs to have a vegetable garden if they can, even if, and even if they live in an apartment or something, you can still have a small little, just like you can have the Lomi and then you can take, you know, your dirt from that and make a little, you know, if you have a porch or a balcony or something, you can have herbs. I mean, it's so easy to have 
you know, you don't have to have a giant garden with, you know, zucchini and stuff, but you can still have something. Uh, yeah, I see these tower gardens. Uh, we have one at our office, actually. Uh, we use our Lomi output at the office for that. Um, but, you know, the, the exciting thing is when we see our users who come back and um, post content, uh, we've got many, many examples of people that like show pictures of like their tomato plants or their lettuce plants. Like I use the loamy soil in this one and this one and look at the difference. And wow. you, know, you can see the, the, the that it's become a superfood like that yes. plant. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, okay. we I could talk about soil health all day long because <laughs> that's one of my passions too is soil health and glyphosate and toxins and you know our soil is so depleted. So this is this is the way to to have the health the best garden in your neighborhood. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, really hope that uh, we can connect again sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely. We definitely will have you back on. Okay, until next time, peace and plants. Who else feels pumped? I do. I'm so excited to have connected with Brad and learned about Lomi and Pila and just being aware of these incredible people, innovators, entrepreneurs who are out there creating these products, coming up with solutions to fight these problems that we have that politicians are not going to are not going to make these changes. They're not coming up with solutions and so it's really comes down to us, the people, that we can make the impact, we can be the change that we want to see. I mean, you know, people always say that quote, be the change that you want to see, but let's live it. Let's do it, right? I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to check out Lomi, uh, check them out on Amazon. I will put all the information in the show notes and thank you so much, you beautiful friend. You are the light that this world so much needs. So until next time, peace and plants. Peace and plants.